What's up, everybody? I have an amazing guest for y'all today. He goes by the name of Charles Wexelbaum of Charlitos Casina. Welcome to the show. How you doing? Good, good. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being on. I'm excited to jump into this conversation and learn more about what you do. Uh, but before we do that, I want to ask you this question. There's no right or wrong answer. What's good, though? What's good dough? Well, for me, um, good dough is just dough that hits the spot, you know, um, whether you're making it or or eating it, um, it's dough that just makes you go, you know, damn, that was nice or damn, I did that. Um, and for me, it's like both while eating it and making it and or making it and, and after the fact as well. So, so um yeah, that that's in a, in a very broad nutshell, one little inkling of what's good dough to me. But there's so many answers to that question, you know. <laughs> you can never so, pick just one, right? You, know, you can pick <laughs> just one, you know. And um, and I want to, and I also like take that opportunity to say, you know, it's amazing to be on your show. It's a it's a real honor. I've been listening to a bunch of the episodes, and I've heard many people answer this question. And um, I'm always inspired because every time you ask it, I'm thinking like, damn, what is, what would I say to that? <laughs> you know? What is so, good though? <laughs> what is good? So I, I just think it's, it's awesome. And, and just super excited to be here. I have, have a lot of respect for you and what you're doing. So, Thank you. I'm excited for you to be here. And I love your answer because a pizza that hits the spot really speaks to me. Um, and you know what hits the spot for me? Yeah. A pepperoni pizza. <laughs> um i think uh maybe with your expertise it would be fun to know like and you just for the audience listening you know um charles here does charcuterie and not and i i I joke with saying pepperoni because like he doesn't make pepperoni but maybe just to show off some of your expertise what exactly is pepperoni I, I would say, like, obviously, yeah, most people in the States, like, pepperoni is, like, a, a type of salami that goes on a pizza. Um, when I think of pepperoni, I think of, um, you know, I, I think of something a little different than what we do. Um, it's, you know, um, has a certain spice profile. Um, it's typically um, has some sort of a heat treatment step in it, meaning like it's cooked at some point, you know, cooked or just like applied a mild heat treatment um, to give it a certain texture. Um, and yeah, that, I mean, it, it can mean many different things to many different people, but I think like, you know, sort of the mainstream understanding and mainstream definition, at least what you find in a lot of pizzas, that's what it is. It's like a, it's a, some sort of a heat treated salami with a particular flavor profile. Um, that um yeah put on a pizza what is heat treatment and why do you choose not to do it for your um specific cured meat so so heat treatment can mean any you know many different things right um typically in in the in, in an environment of making cured meats or making charcuterie a heat treatment could be like something or you know as low as like 130 degrees for a certain period of time it doesn't necessarily mean cooking but it just means applying like a higher like a high enough level of heat that would uh take care of certain uh certain pathogens um get rid of certain bacteria that would also like change the texture of the product depending on what you're going for um so i mean typically in a cured meat setting it's 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 used either to achieve like texture um appearance flavor um, or to uh, achieve some sort of like a food safety step. So like obviously if you heat, if you apply heat to something, you're killing off uh, pathogens and killing off a number of the things that perhaps you don't, you know, necessarily want to eat, right? Um, and, and oftentimes like you can you can save time and money and different steps in the process by applying a mild heat treatment. Um, and I think that's what you find oftentimes in the pepperoni. Um, what we do is a little bit different. Uh, well, you know, what we do is just like an old school air dried salami, no heat treatment. So our, our salami is never see above like 76, 77 degrees. Um, so that's like, you know, maybe 78, like that area, but that, and we can get into that later. And that's only like for a short period of time for the fermentation. 
Um, uh, typically, our, the majority of our, the life of our salamis live in like in the low 50s, um, that, that sort of temperature range. And the reason for it is, I just think, it, I mean, it produces a completely different product, right? Like a salami that's been slow aged and dry cured without any heat. Uh, the texture of the protein is different. The flavor is different. Um, the, the, the water activity is different. Um, just like the whole mouthfeel is different. The whole experience is, it's just a different product, right? Um, and I would say like, you know, it's not to say that one is right or wrong or anything like that. Obviously people do different things during the process for different reasons, but in our, in our, uh, particular, in our particular case, we've just decided that like the product that we're looking to make is best made if you, um, you know, if we don't use a heat treatment step. How did you get into this world? I would love to see how one develops all of this knowledge around charcuterie. How did I get into this world? I mean, uh, well, I got in, I've been doing this for, or I've had my business for about 11 years now. Started out in 2011, um, so I'm, I'm 38 years old for reference. Um, and I, I got into it at, at the time, um, I was working with my father. My father had a business in, in New York City, uh, it was sort of like a hardware houseware store. Um, we were super tight and and it was like a, you know, it was, a, it was a family business and very sort of like New York place, like full of merchandise and lots of different people, very diverse, different languages spoken, the, the whole thing. And so it was great. And so he had that business for uh, almost 50 years. So unfortunately, um, he, you know, the business did not survive and he ended up, um, you know, getting out of the business. And I found myself at a place where I needed to figure out what to do in my life. I was very interested in charcuterie. Like I had developed this sort of um, curiosity about it and sort of like as a hobbyist. And I was just kind of like messing around with charcuterie, you know, and, and reading a lot of books and talking to whoever I could talk to about it. Um, and it was just like this whole concept of like or this whole sort of idea that you could take, you know, like I was alluding to before, you could take this highly, highly perishable food, right, which is raw meat, and you could leave it in the zone where it's most prone to perishing for months and years at a time. And on the other side, instead of having something that, you know, that that's rotten, essentially, or that makes you sick, you have something that is not only long lasting, um, you know, can, can last indefinitely, but has transformed into something um, really beautiful. And if you do it right, so like the right combination of salt and time and airflow um, and that whole idea just like fascinated me, you know, and I was, I was just, you know, nerded out on it and super excited about it. Um, so I just, you know, and I was sort of like looking around me and saying, all right, like, you know, in the U.S., we're at this sort of inflection point with food in, in, in many exciting ways. You know, like I could go to my local bodega in New York and eat, pick from like 30 or 40 different beers, right? Or like, you know, an increasing number of cheeses, like just buying a chocolate bar was like, you know, a, a really layered experience, right? It was, I mean, the conversation was getting a lot more complex around just food in general, and I would look at, but then I would like look at the charcuterie selections and the salumi selections and I would think like, you know, why are there only like three or four, if that, producers doing this at like a really sort of like a, a I'll say like a, in a more ingredient focused manner, right? Like in a more technique focused manner, you know? Um, and, I, and I guess now I understand the answer to that question a little bit better, but at the time, it just seemed like, you know, I could, you know, maybe there was a chance I could do something here. And so I thought it would be being, you know, a little young, being young and a little naive and hungry and like sort of being raised with this entrepreneurial bone, I guess, for lack of a better word. Um, you know, it, it seemed to me like the only way that I was going to be able to, to really do something that that I was good at or that I could make an impact with or produce something of value um, was if I just tried to do it myself. Many of us have dreams and ambitions to start something. Deciding you want to get into the cured meat business and, and, and uh, actually getting into it is two totally different things. When we get back to the show, Charles is going to walk us through how he turned this side hustle into a full-on business. But first, a word from our sponsors. The What's Good Dough podcast is sponsored by Uni. I assume that my audience already knows what an uni pizza oven is. And for those that don't, uni changed the game 
by being the first to revolutionize what an outdoor pizza oven could be. If you're looking to make and sell pizzas, these uni pizza ovens are so portable, you can put them in the trunk of your car, take them to a brewery, and start serving up amazing pizza right then and there. And if you're already doing that, it might be time for a second oven just to keep up with the demand. So if you're shopping for a new oven, whether it's your first or your fourth, please consider Uni. I have an affiliate link in the show notes, and if you use that link, I get a commission for the sale. At no extra cost to you, but it does greatly help this podcast. So thank you in advance for using that link. You know, to build a USDA, you know, you have to deal with the USDA, to build a facility, to get the permits, to, I mean, just a laundry list of all the things you need to do. Um, not to mention that I was like, I, at the time, I really thought I knew what I was doing. But, uh, you know, in, in retrospect, like, I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I just knew that I was, I, that I wanted to do this. Somebody said, yeah, try to find somebody who's, who's like licensed to do this already and and see if they'll let you operate under their establishment number. So I said, great. So that sounds easy enough, right? Like start calling, calling, looking everywhere in New York and New Jersey and, you know, Pennsylvania and all these places. And I would like pick up the phone. Hello, my name is Charles, blah, 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 blah. Like, you know, I have this idea. <laughs> and it was just like, click, 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 click. No, 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 no. And, um, and this went on for months. This went on for about six months where I was trying to figure this out. And um, in the meantime, I was doing odd jobs. And it, 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 was, it, it was an interesting period of time in my life. So, um, and one day, like six months into this, I was sort of frustrated, you know, a little bit like close to like saying, okay, you know what, maybe, maybe this is not going to work out. Maybe I, I need to, I need to figure something else out. Um, and I, I had like slowly expanded my search. So like New York, Connecticut, I like my, <laughs> but suddenly like I found this place, um, in, in St. Louis, Missouri, which I was like St. Louis, Missouri. Like I had a good friend of mine grew up in St. Louis and then his mom was living there. And I didn't really have much of a connection to this place, uh, you know, but there was a small old school Salou Maria that was there that had been in operation since the 40s and was like grandfathered into all of this USDA regulation, which was really, really hard to come by. It was like they would never get approved if they were built today. But the fact that they were built so long ago, you know. Anyway, I just picked up the phone. It was like a Friday afternoon, you know, hey, you know, I get like this kind of raspy sounding older lady with a thick midwestern accent on the phone hello you know like no like hi you know good afternoon you have reached so and so you know nothing like that like, hello and you um, know i said hey can i speak to the to the owner and, you know, and yeah i am the owner what do you want you know and it was like all right so i told her my story my name's charles and i had this project and you know and she kind of like cut me off and she was like all right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. why don't you come down here you know, tell me a little bit, why, you know, why don't you come down here for lunch on Tuesday? I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> I just booked a flight, like the earliest flight I could get to St. Louis that day. Um, and I did, yes, yeah, so I went there. Lady, so, and, and this lady who, 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 I, who I had this conversation with turned out to be, you know, I, I call her like the unlikely queen of salami. You know, you, you, you know, everybody, I feel like everybody who starts a business or everybody who starts, like goes on a, an adventure um, that requires a lot of luck and work and all, all the things, you know, that there's always a, at least one person along the way, usually more, but at least there's at least one who is kind of like your, your angel, you know, or like your, your guide or the person who, 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 who just like really gives you a chance, you know, and kind of like takes a risk on you. For me, that, that was Judy. You know, we sat down, we had lunch that day, told her about my project, she was like, yeah, um, why not? You know, she could have been like my grandma. Uh, I feel like maybe I reminded her of her son or something. I had no experience doing this. Um, but she let, she was like, yeah, right, do it. Like, and I was very, I was very specific about my requirements. Cause like, I didn't want, you know, I wanted to control all the ingredients. I wanted to control the whole process. I wanted like, I literally like wanted to do everything. But I, but I just needed somebody's USDA number and somebody's under, you know, somebody with some understanding on how to operate larger scale equipment um, to, 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 to kind of help me out and all this stuff. And like there was a couple of times where like the USDA almost shut her down 
over my product, you know, and it was like I was scared because I had no idea I was doing something wrong some of these times, you know, but she would get the inspectors in there, the, hey, what's this, what's this, and but she would go to bat for me every single time, and she really put her, her put herself on, on stuck her neck out for me. I don't really understand why to this day, because she was so good to me um, and, and and gave me a chance. But um, we just started out from there, and from that day that we had lunch um, for the next two years, I was in St. Louis for at least one week out of every month. It just evolved, but it was amazing. It was, it was beautiful, and we developed you know a, a routine, and I would we would like schedule the production. So usually like one production was finishing while we were starting another one. So I would spend that week like making salami, taking down another batch, putting it in boxes, sending it back to New York, selling it on the weekends, basically starting selling it at, at the Smorgasburg market on Saturdays. Uh, well, at that point, which was like a, just like a much smaller uh, iteration of what it is today. Um, and then from there, you know, from Smorgasburg, you know, we got like a wholesale account. From a wholesale account, I got like a distributor account. From there, we started doing some shows. Um, and, um, and, and, and you know, it was like, damn, I have a business now. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a very long answer to your question, Idris. So I, I hope that answers the question. But um, yeah, that's how I, that's, that's how I got started. Um, and I um, feel super grateful to have had the opportunity to work with Judy. Oh, and I'll tell you the last thing about Judy that was like amazing, um, you know, and, and and I know like the way I'm telling it makes it sound like it was like a very linear process from like inception to like scaling up and everything was perfect and we started making money and all that, which was absolutely not the case. You know, it was a bloodbath. <laughs> it's been a bloodbath for most of it, but but because I had like somebody support like Judy, I was able to kind of like learn all these things on the march um, and like sort of navigate the, the, the ways as I, as needed. And like a couple of, after the first, like basically like after the first production, I, I was like, all right, like, so how much are you going to charge me for all this? Like, let's work out a price structure. Like you tell me how much it's all going to cost. Cause I can't just like come out. You know, like we need to figure something out. She was like, yeah, 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 yeah. We'll talk to you. I'll talk to you about it. I'll talk to you about it later. I'll talk to you about it later. And, and like after a few times, I was like, Judy, you know, this is serious. Like, you know, I have like, you know, hundreds of pounds of meat coming in. You know, I'm, I'm freaking buying tickets. I'm coming out here to St. Louis like all the time, you know, like, and I need to, and I need to like work out my pricing. You know, I don't know how much this is going to cost. And then she like, she, so, and then she just like looked me square in the eye one day. She, she said, son, when you can prove to me you're making some money doing this thing, you know, then I'll start to charge you. And I was like, this lady. Is cool. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what is going on here? But it was like, you know, you know how some people are tough and they sound, you know, they give you the tough love and they, they sound like, you know, you know, maybe, I don't know, the... It's tough love, I guess. It's like a little rough around the edges. That that was Judy. It was like she would always do things that made me realize, like, wow, this lady really cares about me. And she was true to her word. It was like no bullshit. And I did pay her very soon. I, and I got to the point where I was like, you know what, Judy, I'm not comfortable with this. Like you're doing, you're giving me this service. You know, I need to pay you something. Started to pay her some money and blah blah. But like her whole attitude was just like, you're a young guy trying to do your thing. You know. And, and I want to help you like you're, you're doing something that I think is cool. And, and, and um, you know, you're you're crazy. Like you're not obviously totally there because you're doing this <laughs> like, but um, but um, I want to help you out. So it, it, it was amazing. You know, it was, it was wonderful to meet somebody who, who, who supported me like that. And I always say, like, I, like I have not forgotten that experience, you know, and, and, and now that I'm 11 years in. You know, I'm hopeful that I can pay that forward to, to people. What kept you going? Just because I think that there are people listening to this who, you know, want to do a legit pizzeria. Maybe they don't have the funds. Maybe, you know, they are doing their pop-up and they're doing it unlicensed, but they want to do it legitly. And so maybe they're thinking, I could do it at a pizzeria. I could use a pizzeria as a commissary. I can 
think creatively about about how to start a business. Um, but every time I pick up that call, that phone or send that DM, you know, I'm I'm not getting that the answer. What kept you going? You know, in my case, I made a decision. You know, and I said, "This is what I'm going to do." This, um, and I know that there's a way to do it, even if I don't fully understand what that way is. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna figure it out. Um, and it, you know, that, that, that was part of it. Um, and I also, it, it, it's a, it's a great question. You know, it's a great question that, that, that has sort of layered answers for me, you know, to, to me, it was very important to prove myself, you know, that, that I, um, cause I sort of like grew up in the shadow of an incredible father, mentor, um, all these wonderful things, right? And my father and I were extremely close and, 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 and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, like I was always in his shadow. And it was really important for me to, to prove, I guess, just to myself that I was capable of doing something, you know, that I was capable of just like building something from scratch. Um, so that's number one, um, or maybe that's number two. Um, and I would also say that, like, if you believe in what you're doing, which I believe in what I was doing, um, you know, the world is full of people who are going to try to talk you out of it, I guess. Um, the world is full of people that are going to remind you that uh, the structure of the world is not fair. This, this is not right. And every, there's, there's a lot of uh, things that are not right about the setup of, of how a business works in the U.S. and how to open a business and, and all that kind of stuff. But I think if you really believe in what you're doing, and it sounds like a cliche, but if you do believe in it, I mean, I, I, I think that ultimately, and you have, if you have some persistence and some, um, some endurance, I guess, um, then you will get there, you know, and you, you, you will ultimately find your way. And I think that, look, if your issue is money, there's always ways to raise money. You know, if your issue is time, well, maybe, you know, you just gotta like do a once over on your schedule, right? And figure out like how, how you can make the time work. But I, but I think if you're, if you're committed to it and you really believe in it, like that, 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 uh, that has the power to keep you going. Um, and building anything is hard. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of endurance. It takes a lot of um, a lot of effort, um, and you have to just like build it one brick at a time and understand that it's going to be slow. It's going to be a, it's going to be hard, but it's worth it. It's worth it. I really do believe that, you know. And um, I think on, like entrepreneurship, the ability to have your own thing. Whatever, whatever, whether it's a pizzeria or whether it's a podcast or building a community or whatever it is, like it's really one of the most powerful uh, tools there is to have, like, to create agency in your life and to and to affect change. Um, however, however you envision that change to be. So, agreed. Um, building a business, you know, building this podcast has not been without sacrifice, and I, I want to ask you. Uh, what are some of the sacrifices that you made in addition to making sounds like weekly trips to St. Louis? Um, you know, I, I can, you said a bloodbath earlier, maybe elaborate more on some of the sacrifices that you've had to endure to make this business work. Well, I mean, you know, I've, I've been, like I said, it was, I was doing this. I've been doing this for eleven years. Um, the St. Louis portion was the first two years, right? So um, after two years, that business got sold, and or that facility got sold, and the new owners were pretty much like, "Get out of here!" Like I got a call one day, uh, basically saying like, "You need to have all your stuff out of here in two weeks," um, and I was like, "I mean, in, in cured meat speak." That's like, that's like half a second, you know? And um, I was like, what do you mean? Like I have, 
couple thousand pounds of product hanging in your drying room right now that have customers like um so there's been a lot of changes a lot of um of, of, of trying to figure it out over the years i mean um some of the sacrifices i've had to make over the years i mean i think um i think like when you start a business like you have to be kind of com- you have to kind of get comfortable with with a certain degree of instability in your life um and for me um and, and you kind of like have to repeat this question in your head of like all right if that happens how bad is it really <laughs> you know like what, like if this scenario comes to play out like what's really what's the worst thing that's gonna happen you know like and um you know for me i think like financially it's been definitely a roller coaster you know certain certain advantages for sure but also look a lot of sacrifices um in, in making this work um you know but i but i think like life is full of sacrifices right like whatever you make whatever you end up doing so i i've never really thought about it in terms of like what am i sacrificing i've always thought about it in terms of like you know i like I'm really intent on this working, you know. I'm really intent on on on, on moving this this thing forward. Um, and um, you know, it, it's like if you have a job where you need to be at work at nine o'clock in the morning, um, and and you like to wake up at ten o'clock in the morning. Well, then you need to sacrifice a couple hours of sleep to get out of bed, and 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 like any anything you do in life, like comes comes with some sacrifice. And um, I, I think for me, like. I've tried to not think about it so much as sacrifice and more of just like tasks of like, okay, if I want, if I want A, then I need to do B, you know? Um, and, and in my case, it's been like, get comfortable with a certain degree of instability, um, get comfortable with a certain amount of, um, of uh, kind of like, oh shit moments, um, <laughs> you know, but with the understanding that like, overall some of all the parts is still like feels more valuable to me than if i was if i had to just like abandon shit and like you know do something completely different or like get a nine to five what is one mistake in pizza business or life using commodity olive oil and if you don't know what that is i invite you to try the olive oil that's in your cupboard right now when cordo first invited me to do this i was shocked my olive oil tasted rancid and to make matters worse I was incorporating it in my pizza. Today, I only use Cordo olive oil for my pizza, and the difference is night and day. Cordo picks their olives at their peak and bottles them up only when you order. That way, it tastes fresh when it gets to you. The difference is night and day. Pizza operators can get a free olive oil tasting through Cordo. Just use the link in the show notes. And if you're not a pizzeria, don't worry. You can get a tasting too at a very nominal cost. Make sure to check out Cordo Olive Oil and level up your pizza game today. Our next sponsor is Pleasant Hill Green. Are you thinking about ramping up your production? Let's face it, when we're mixing by hand, you're limited by your hand's physical strength. I have mixed 10-pound batches, 20-pound, 30-pound batches, and it hurts. Your hands get tired, and it feels like it just never ends. That all changed when I got my Famag mixer through Pleasant Hill Green. They are North America's exclusive distributor for Famag. And so if you're looking to get one, they're the place to go. Check out the link in the show notes for my affiliate link. Again, no extra cost for you for buying it there, but it does greatly help the show. I appreciate you for listening to my show sponsors. Now back to the podcast. When did you finally make this your full-time thing? And what allowed you to say, okay, I'm ready. There's less instability than there was today and I could probably live off of this. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was soon after because um, it was like, um, I would say like July, August 2011, somewhere around there, um, where I was doing it. I mean, I didn't have a lot of responsibility in my life at the time. So that was that was working to my advantage. You know, I was living, sharing an apartment with two friends of mine. I didn't have like a lavish lifestyle or anything like that. So um, I didn't really mind like having a very low overhead. It was pretty early on, and I was and I was very lucky in that in that regard too, um, because I know, I know that that's not um, that's not the case for a lot of people. But um, 
but I was able to dive in head first, Perfect. you know? What, so when yeah. you got kicked out of your place, what happened <laughs> next? Uh, we were out of production. We ended up being out of production for about six months. What did you do um, with all that meat? It was, it, well, no, we sold it. Like they let us, they let us finish that production. They let us finish whatever was in there, luckily. Um, but I was like immediately having to, but they didn't let us put anything new into production. And that was for us. Like we always had to have some like new things in the back, you know, in the, in the mix. So like I, um, I started that process, the process that I started two years earlier, you know, started it again, you know, um, but I guess like the advantage that I had this time was like, I had now been in the industry for two years. I had met, met people, um, you know, whereas before I was trying to create life. Now life, this life form had been created. You know, we had some customers, we had, we had this thing that was moving. So the conversations were a little easier at that point. It wasn't just like this, this, uh, sort of, pie in the sky idea of like getting this like 26 year old kid to make salami in your building. It was like, all right, like we've been selling this much every month and we could, you know, we, we could talk about minimums and we could talk about actually like having a program like a, that was ready to go on day one. Um, so that made the conversation a little, a little easier, but it was not. Um, and I thought a lot about building our own facility at that point, but again, it was like a ton of money ton of time a ton of knowledge that i felt like i still didn't completely have um definitely did not have the money for it um so i ended up finding another small place um a little closer to home this time um and that kind of got us through you know like yeah being out of production for six months was, was really hard um i ended up taking a loan during that time because i had a couple of employees helping me out um, I ended up taking a loan just to like float their salaries. Um, that was tough. It was tough. I, I, about a few months later, I found a small place that kind of like helped us just get some product out, but I was not happy with the product, to be honest with you. Um, and, and I realized like we had like now created this product that I was not feeling so good with. Um, the facility that I found was not, it, it wasn't the best fit. Um, so I ended up going someplace else. Like that lasted for, I don't know, a few months small handful of months and then i found this other place in uh in new jersey that was closer to home that was look that had some capacity that was looking to fill their capacity um and um they let so we started producing there it was a similar setup but you know this time i could i could just like go there from my apartment i didn't have to like spend a week you know uh staying with my friend's mom which you know <laughs> which which was awesome but um but um, I, I was able to do this. And so that, um, so we started getting some production going there, but then that per place got shut down by the USDA. They were doing some things that they were, I guess, not supposed to be doing. And when they had the issue with the USDA, um, basically they were like, we need to sell this place like ASAP because we need to get out of here. They had, you know, all kinds of issues that they needed to deal with for themselves. And one of the reasons they needed to sell the plant. So we ended. I ended up getting another loan, uh, buying that facility. It was a small facility, um, and um, that was start, started um, producing product in there. Um, and it was it was wonderful for many reasons. I learned a lot. You know, being that facility met a lot of you know, made a lot of great connections. Um, um, but ultimately, it didn't work out. You know, we had. Um, what, started diversifying our product line because like we couldn't we had a, a very hard time with usda allowing us to do air dried like what we do like non-heat treated air dried slow cured salami the usda was giving us a lot of flack um and it was like we had we were getting like validation studies that they weren't accepting and like all, all the science and i don't want to get into like the whole usda um rabbit hole because i could because the usda is problematic i mean you know i conceptually it's a good organization but function you know sort of in in, in real life um it you know like we had our, our first inspector was like this guy who walked in there and he was just like oh 
he looked at our drying room and like all this product drying and he was like, he was like, you can eat this stuff? And I was like, yeah, man, it's salami, <laughs> salami. You know, it's like, you know, but it's not cooked, you know, what? and I was like, you know, like, but I was like, but yeah, but you know, we have this process. He's like, wait a second. He's like, he's like, I'm from down South and you know, I've never seen this stuff before. And I was like, this conversation would be fine if you didn't have the power to shut us down. <laughs> you know, like you could like walk in here and for any reason decide to shut us down, <laughs> you know? So, um, and, and, and they're in there every day, the USDA, and they're in there every single day. And you're, you're required by law to have an office for them wow. in the plant. Um, so it, it, it was just like a whole thing. So we had to get into other products anyway. I was dealing with all that at this time, and it was just like a money pit. It was like, you know, great, we have our own facility, and it was fun for many different reasons and, and interesting, but it was still like a money pit. This loan that I had taken out, like every week, it would just go boom, 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 the balance, which was like shrivel. And I, at that time, I met uh, a person who was from Spain, um, who had experience working in like the Spanish cured meats world in Spain. And he was involved in a group of people who wanted to open up a place, like a curing facility in upstate New York. Um, and these people had, you know, the resources, this group had the resources behind them to open up like what in my case would be like a dream facility. But like, I guess for them, it was just kind of like a test kitchen. Right. But it was like, a, but like from a, from a, from a quality perspective, from like an equipment perspective, from a regulatory perspective, like all that stuff, they were like super, super dialed in. They were like excellent at all the things that I was really struggling with. Um, and he approached me and he was like, you know, Charles, let me help you out. Like you're really losing your head doing this facility. Like, um, you know, you don't need to be doing this. Like we can help you with the production side and you can, you know, you can focus on like growing the business, right? You can focus on on, on everything else. I was like, oh, no, man, like, I'm doing this, like, we're good. Typical, like, stubborn, 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 you know, like, and it was like, you know, I asked my, my father, my mother, my wife, everybody would tell you, like, Charles, you know, he's very stubborn, you know, <laughs> he's, like a, he's got a hard-ass head on him. And I did this for about a year and a half with that, was, all right, call me when you're ready, call me when you're ready, call me when you're ready. And I was like, no, 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 we're good, man, we're good. Like, I'm never going to call you. <laughs> so one day um, we had this like audit by the USDA came in for inspectors. They came in and just like torsion. <laughs> like it wasn't like any big problem. You know, it was just like, you know, this is rusty and this needs to be changed. And why do you have this? Oh, this thing just doesn't have a label on it and they had like a clipboard and it was just like ding 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 um and like mind you i was like running the facility running our sales program doing like i was wearing many different hats you know i had a i had a couple of guys working with me that were fantastic doing production and like doing some of the other things but like as far as like running the facility and like making sure that we were selling um it was just me and that that's like any, you know, sort of well-organized uh, charcuterie operation. There's a plant manager, usually there's a HACCP manager, usually there's a director of sales. You know, these are all like full-time jobs um, that, that I feel like people, people have. And I was like doing them all and I was not doing any of them well. You know, like everything just seemed to be crumbling. At the same time, my wife, you know, we, we found out that, you know, we were having a baby. My wife was like, hey, I'm pregnant, you know, and it was actually like the day after Trump got elected. It was like the election happened. Everybody was, you know, there's a lot of emotions going on. And and, and um, I, I got to work that morning. My wife told me I was pregnant. Soon after, like we had this audit where they tore everything up. In the back of my mind, I had this guy from Spain's voice. And I was like, all right, you know what? I think, I think let's do it. So like, I think that now is the time, like, I don't think I can continue doing this anymore. Like, um, we need to basically eliminate everything that's not working because otherwise like this business is not going to, it's going to, we're going to go, we're going to go under. It was like, you want, do I want to like keep this facility or do I want to keep the business? So I just 
the after that USDA meeting, I said, thank you very much. You know, I appreciate your time. And I went right into my landlord's office and I gave him notice. And I was like, I'm, I'm out of here, man. And I called the guy from Spain. I'm like, bro, it's me. Um, and um, that happened in 2016. And um, from there, we've turned the production around completely. And it's been, now I have this production partner in New York. Uh, and, and, and it's completely given me the opportunity to like, wow. turn around the business. Division of labor, you know, and, and I think it's easy. Like, I know like a lot of small pizza operators out there think like this. I definitely think like this. You know, it's this notion that like you have to do everything yourself, you know, and, and, and you know, um, and yeah, sometimes you do have to do everything yourself. But eventually, like you get to a point where you're like, you know what, I okay, you know what, what? kind of like separated the human species from from our, our predecessors or so that was like the, that we could work in teams, you know, and we can have division of labor. Um, so, yeah, I was very lucky to find a production partner. And when I say production partner, I really mean like a partner. You know, these are people who you're partners with that, you know, you, 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 I, that you have to work super closely with, that we're communicating every day um, and controlling every element of, of, of the process, working together to make sure every process, every element of the process is as good as it can possibly be. Um, so, you know, I, I think like, the, like, don't be afraid to work in teams, you know, don't be afraid to, to ask for help. Um, that was a, that was a turning point for me. That's amazing. Yeah. And congratulations for getting out of that hole. It, it could be scary. You know, what you were describing seemed very scary, but I'm glad that it sounds like it's working out now. We also talk about the difference between the Ezos and the Hormels of the world in comparison to Charles's product. So you want to stick around for that. Hey, hey, Pizza Pal. As we get closer to wrapping up this show, I just want to ask for one quick favor. If you are enjoying this episode, if you've enjoyed any of the episodes, if you enjoy the episodes that are yet to come, I ask that you do one thing to help support the show, and that is sharing the episode on Instagram. Now, there are probably a million ways to do this, but the easiest way to do it is through Spotify. Whether you listen there or not, they make it so easy to just click the share button. They have an Instagram button, and once you click that, it'll share directly to your story. That's it. When people see it on your story, they can click that and they can listen to it right then and there. Now, before you go and do that, please remember to tag me when you do that, at What's Good Doe on Instagram. That way, when I see that you've shared it, it does two things. One, it fills my heart. And then two, I'll reshare it on my Instagram stories too. I greatly appreciate the love and support. I love you. And let's get back to the show. You just mentioned small pizzerias and I, I wanted to ask you, like, are you in the pizza market and who is your product for? Definitely. So we're slowly getting more into the pizza market. Um, and it's something that I want to, you know, that I want to do more of because like pizza is a, is a, obviously a food that's very close to my heart. You know, kid growing up in New York, I was eating pizza practically every day. And I always see it as like pizza to me. Like there are two great equalizers in New York City. It's like it's the subway and the pizzeria, you know. Um, and it's like no matter what, everybody rides a subway. No matter you're rich or poor or whatever, and in, and no matter what, your people eat a slice of pizza, you know. Like and it's it's it's, it's the type of food that really brings people together. Um, and so, like just on a personal note, it's it's um, you know it's important to me. Um, over the years, like we have not worked with too many pizzerias. We've worked with a few. You know, we've mainly been like a retail product. So we work in specialty food stores, wine shops, sheet shops, beer stores. But recently we've got we're starting to get into um, you know, we're starting to get into more pizzerias little by little. We were doing a program with a small pizzeria in, in Philly called Eva. Um, we're doing a plate with um, we're doing a program with a guy in New York. He does a lot of pop-ups, he's a happy bully pizza. Um, there's a guy up in the Hudson Valley, um, called, uh, he's another pop-up person. His name is Pizza Nightmare, but make an amazing product. Um, so little by little, uh, we're also, um, close to starting a program, uh, with 
uh, Chris Bianco, Chef Chris Bianco, in his new pizzeria in, in LA. I, I'm sort of hesitant to say that it's 100% happening, but like it, we're definitely going to have some product in his, um, you know, in his orbit, uh, whether it's going to be on the pizza or on the antipasto platter, I'm not really sure yet. Um, but um, so that that's another uh, um, pizzaiolo, obviously, iconic pizzaiolo. We'll be doing some work with. Um, and um, yeah, and then, and then there's a handful of other pizzerias that we've worked with over the years. You know, I think it's, it's hard that, you know, one of the challenges that I face is that you can, like, you can find product that's not, you know, you can find less expensive product than, our, than ours is, right? And I'm not just say that ours is, like, so expensive that it's unaffordable. No, but, like, there's a lot of cheap salami, you know, at, at, available. Um, so I think that's been, like, one of the challenges. You know, pizza, pizzaiolo has so much to worry about, so many ingredients to think about that, you know, just finding somebody who wants to take the time to even have a conversation about charcuterie. Um, to me, like, when I find that, like, when I can find a pizzaiolo who's, who wants to have that conversation, then it's, somewhat, it's much easier. But a lot of times people say, you know what, we're good. Like, we, you know, we have too much going on. We have too much to worry about. And that's totally understandable. Um, so, yeah. You know, you had mentioned earlier about, like, the start of this whole process and this journey. And you were at, um, I think, a bodega. And you were looking at the, you know, a couple of salamis that were available. And you asked yourself, you know, how come not and not many of these are ingredient focused and you said you later found out why um can you talk a little bit more about that and maybe try to bridge that with the pizza makers who need to know more about your product well absolutely i mean i think that the point the, the barrier to entry in in a making a product in the usda environment um is a lot higher um just because of some of the things that I alluded to before, you know, you're dealing with a, you know, most, most food in this country is regulated by the FDA, the Food and Drug, Drug Administration. So anything that's not meat, poultry, or eggs is regulated by the FDA or the local health department, um, which is, I mean, the case with most most pizza with most pizzerias. Um, but you know, in our case, like basically proving to the U.S. government that we're going to make we're going to make this this not cooked product safe safe and ready to eat through a process of like leaving it in the zone where it's most prone to spoilage for long periods of time um that's some you know to, to prove that to the u.s government is much harder than i thought <laughs> that that's essentially what it is um and when you're dealing with uh with foods that have more obvious food safety steps right like with with a pizza you know, if it has, you know, whatever, if the, if, if the cheese is bad or whatever, like you put it in the oven and usually like all, all the temperature, like that high temperature will, will, will kill off a lot of the unwanted pathogens um, that are supposed that are like maybe present on that pizza. Right. Um, but with salami, it's so uh, it, it, it's a lot more delicate. Um because like I said, like you're never going above 78, 77 degrees um, and a lot can go wrong, right? And I think that, that, you know, now you're starting to see more producers come out. And I think in the last two, three years, we started to see like a proliferation of smaller producers, but comparatively speaking, to, compared to other at, uh, categories in, in the food world, it's, it's a lot slower. And I think it's because of like all the challenges from a regulatory side. Um, you know, I can't, yeah. I, I want, I don't want to leave this conversation without talking about like the Hormels and the, maybe even the Ezos of the world, but like, yeah, what's the main difference between the three of you guys? All right. I think that there's going to be, it's really important to talk about quality of the raw materials and the raw materials themselves. Right. So I'll just give you an example. Like our, you know, we have two items that we push for pizzerias, right? One is a mild chorizo. It's essentially, it's meat, salt, 
um, tiny, tiny bit of sugar for the fermentation and a really beautiful pimentón de la Vera, pimentón from, from La Vera region of Spain, and a little bit of garlic, those, those five ingredients. Um, we have a salami picante, which is the same idea, so it's some, some hot chilies instead of a pimentón. Those are the ingredients, and it's all from heritage-free pork, uh, all vegetarian-fed, no antibiotics, no synthetic growth hormones, certified by the Global Animal Partnership, so just like, which is essentially like tacking out to a certified humane uh, um, rating. So you have really good mat raw materials. Oh, and the salt, all hand-harvested solar evaporated sea salt. Um, so really good meat, really good salt, transparent and short ingredient list. All of the ingredients, you know what they are, right? Um, so I'll, I'll start with that. You take like a, a Rosa, Grande, Rosa Grande pepperoni, and it's like, I want to preface this, like no disrespect, like I don't, it's not like, I, I don't like doing like a tit for tat or whatever. Like I always say, like our, our products are meant to be complementary to what's out there already, not to take the place of. But if you're comparing it head to head, I think it's a completely different product. Number one, the pepperoni is cooked. Number two, it's really using all conventional conventional pork that you really have no insight into how the, pork, the pigs are being raised, um, being administered, and a whole series of antibiotics, a whole series of um, of feed, which is not um, which is not really you know which is problematic on a series on a number of levels. Um, they're raised in confinement settings, which essentially means they're raised in crates. For, the, for their entire life, they never see the light of day. Um, so that's number one. And then number two is the ingredients. Like, I'm, you know, I, I just, before we spoke, I pulled up the, the ingredient statement for Rosa Grande pepperoni. It's like BHA, BHT with citric acid, pork, beef, uh, dextrose, spices, sodium ascorbate, oleo resin of paprika, which is not real paprika. Um, you know, all these things, which is like, you know, the, the half the ingredients was just things that you don't understand, you know, th things that like the average person would not know what they are or know why you would have them, uh, you know, food that you're eating. So um, I would say that. So and, and, and then, of course, like the road, like those products are cooked um, and our products are, are, are air dried. Um, can you can you harp on a little bit more about um about why a cooked, I don't want to say like why cooked is inferior to your product, or maybe you can yeah. just like, no, what is the difference? It's not a question of inferior or superior. It's just a question of different, right? You're going to get, you're, you're getting, to me, you're getting a much, when, when you're not, when you don't cook a product, you don't heat treat it, you're getting something that's much more nuanced, much cleaner, uh, much more layered, you know, that than if you had something that was just like heat treated, um, fast fermented, you know, it, it, it's kind of like saying, you know, I, I don't want to make the exact comparison, but it's kind of like saying, you know, Domino's pizza versus like, you know, like I, I listened to an episode the other day with, um, uh, you know, with, with, with what was it like? Pardon the the, the word she called by the pizza slut like um Kaylian you know with Kaylian I mean she seems amazing like I'm listening to what she's doing and she's like in her car you know running the AC making sure the fermentation doesn't get messed up you know like all these things like that to me like that's the difference it's like yeah you could you know order Domino's or you can get one of her pizzas like they're both pizza in theory right. But they're completely like one is a lot more nuanced. One has a lot more character. One has a lot more love put into it. Um, one, I think, is highly, highly prefer preferable to put in your body um, than than the other. And that's to me like one of the fundamental differences between like some of the conventional pepperonis, um, conventional salamis out there, and our stuff. And I, and I will say this: like you know, we can talk more about ingredients and and all this kind of thing, but I, one of the things that I love about like talking to pizzerias who are like very ingredient focused, like people like Kaylee, um, you know, like in so many of the guests that are on your show, you know, you have like, like I was listening to your episode with Chris Townsend, uh, the, the gentleman in, in Great Britain, Doe-Eyed, um, people who are like in that frame of, 
of, of mind that are doing like really ingredient driven, slow fermentation, quality focused pizza. Like why are you going to put all this time, all this energy, all this love into all these elements of your pizza? And then like with this, with the pepperoni or with the salami, like why, like why are you willing to turn the other cheek to that? Mm. Um, and so when I'm able to really like get into conversation with pizzaiolos who were who care a lot about their ingredients, yeah, you know, people out, you know, you need to, everybody needs to make money. Everybody needs to make a profit. Everybody needs to control their costs. Like I get that. And I'm not trying to, you know, I'm, I'm in the same boat, you know, we're all, we're all in that boat. Um, but there are ways of doing that without, I think, sacrificing your ethos to be super quality focused and super ingredients driven, um, you know, um, and, and when I'm able to kind of like get deep with some of the pizza, pizza aisles out there, pizza, you know, pizza makers out there, um, it's beautiful, right? Because we kind of get to this understanding that like we're all approaching this in the same way, you know, we're very ingredients driven, we're very quality driven. Um, and if I'm going to go through all this work of making this like extremely complicated food, which is pizza, like, why would I, you know, with whatever, maybe it's the last ingredient you put on your pie and you can put some pepperoni on there or, or, or whatever, like, why would you, um, will it, why would you be willing to compromise on that? And maybe, um, and there's a lot of people out there who say, you know, I'm not, I'm not willing to compromise on that, you know? And that's why they they work with a charcuterie maker who's a little, you know, who, who I think shares similar ethos to that we do. Um, and there's a lot of really great ones out there um, these days, you know, like I said, over the last two, three years, uh, some fantastic producers who have come on. Yeah. I can think of a handful so, for you uh, off the top of my head that I think would love this product yeah. and would you know, specifically choose to go with yours over the other. Um, I don't know. Maybe if you all are listening, I'm thinking Ratza. I'm thinking um, Gracie's a pizza in Portland. I'm thinking maybe even um, Carlson Block. I would say like, you know, like these pizzeria, I'm, I'm guessing that, you know, your customer is not the person who wants to sell a thousand pies a night. Right. I'm I'm thinking that yours does and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm thinking yours has a focus on quality over quantity. I would say so. Um, you know, look we, I mean, obviously we all want to sell and, and, and maximize our, our our earnings. But yeah, I would say overall there's a focus on on quality over quantity. Um, you know, sometimes I like to get deep. And on the mathematics of these things and ask yourself like, well, what are you really saving when you're using like a, you know, a, a, a less expensive version, you know, and, and, you know, we, we don't have to get super deep into it now, but like, if I think about like, you know, a small salami that we make, that's like five ounces, you can get like a hundred slices out of it, you know, and it's like the average slice of pizza, pepperoni pizza has like, you know, what, 13, 14 slices on it. And if you start breaking down, like, what the cost per unit is compared to, like, what the upshot, what you could actually sell for having, you know, typically, like, adding pepperoni to a pizza is, like, $3, somewhere around there. But, like, you know, if you add, like, a higher quality salami, maybe you can charge 4 or $5 for, for that topping, right? And suddenly, like, the increase in, in the charge offsets the increase in the cost for the item. So, um, and I do think that there's a lot of value in, in, in thinking about it that way. I, I do see that way. Um, and I just recently went to Oak and Rye Pizzeria, who I think uses Molinari salami. They, yeah. uh, they produce in San Francisco. And when I went there, I went to get a cheese pizza and pepperoni. And I knew that's what I wanted that day because I wanted to post on Instagram and I knew that I was craving a pizzeria, a pepperoni pizza, but I, I also wanted to post a pepperoni one specifically on Instagram. And when I went to go order it, you know, the cheese pizza is about 18, no, $15. And then the add pepperoni is about five. And the thing is though, like 
they do only put so much on there. And so I was really hoping for a little bit more, but from a cost perspective, it makes sense. Now, I'm thinking to myself, some of the problems with that, just in general, is that, you know, I haven't, I just posted the the, the pizza today. And so I'm going to assess whether or not it's grammable if the, if the people are looking at it and if it's catching eyes. But like, my problem is that like pizzas with pepperoni um, that look better are typically ones that are like stacked, like the Eddie's pizzas of the world, you know, or, you know, they're, they're, they're doing double, triple peps and, and, you know, it's, it's shareable. And I think that's part of the reason that's part of the problem and it's not the healthiest. Sure. But yeah, I'm I'm just kind of spitting words there. No, but sometimes that's what you want though. Like I, and I, and I totally get that. Like sometimes that's what, that's what you're in the mood for. Look, I want to like, I totally understand that there's like, uh, there's a, there's a bridge that needs to, I think be built between a lot of people in the pizza community, not everybody. And like people in, in our community, like the, the, I guess the, small charcuterie producer community. And so I want to like throw something out there, pizza, all those that are listening. Um, I'll send you some product, right? Um, but instead of slicing the product, you know, thin, you know, whatever, just like traditional rounds, putting it on a pie, like fire in the oven, old school. I want the pizza to, to slice the product lengthwise, right? If they have access to a slicer, ideally, right? So take the whole salami, Slice it lengthwise on a slicer so you get long, thin, beautiful strips of salami, right? And instead of firing that product in the oven, put it on top, put it on top of the pizza when it comes out of the oven, right? So that the residual heat from the pie kind of opens up the salami. And that will, I think, answer your abundance, like the abundance question. Because like when I heard you describe like what you're thinking at, at, at Oak and Rye versus Eddie's, like it's a question of abundance, right? Like you pay a certain amount of money, you want to get some abundance. And I think when you present salami this way on a pizza, kind of like in, in Italy, you get like a prosciutto di Parma pizza, and it's just like slices of prosciutto sure. on the pizza when it comes out of the oven. Mm, and it's a different it. way of thinking about char- char- charcuterie on a pizza. So I'm going to throw the challenge out there. You know, I'm going to say like, we can come up with the terms of this contest or, or whatever it is. I want to say that five or 10 pizzaiolos hit me up on Instagram or hit up however you want to do it. Um, I'll send you some product to do some test pies with and um, show me your best way of like presenting in abundance salami slice, slice lengthwise. And I don't want to guarantee it, but I feel very confident that it will help look at charcuterie in a different way on pizza and it might open the door to a new pie on the menu. All right, let's do that. I'm excited to see everyone's <laughs> creations. Um, maybe we can talk more about the rules yeah. on, via an email and then we can put it up uh, as a post. How does that sound, Charles? I love it. I love it. I love it. And think about it in terms of, I think about things in terms of flavor and texture. So think of, I would say, think about those two things, you know, maybe something crunchy on the pie. Obviously the salami is not going to get, you know, it's not going to cup, it's not going to char, whatever, the way you might think of pepperoni traditionally doing. So think of texture, think of acidity, think of all the salami textures. and we'll take it from Cool, there. I'm excited you to know? see that. And you got me really hungry. Uh, so I think we do need to wrap this up. Yeah. Um, all right. I want to ask right. you my two final questions. What is one mistake in all pizza, right. business, or life um, that one can avoid? This is, I can spend a lot of time on this question. But I'll, I'll just leave it with this. It's not that serious. You know, I think for me, I really go down the rabbit hole. Like the, the worst days of my of my journey in, 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 in the food, food world is when I let go of the fun and I just double down on the seriousness and I let that just eat away at me. And it it hinders and inhibits my ability to think clearly, to problem solve, um, to make rational decisions. Um, so I would say like, even when things get very ugly and challenging, you know, try to not take it so, 
I don't want to say don't take it so seriously, but like try to relax about it and um, uh, have just have fun with the process because even in the in the darkest moments, you know, there's like little opportunities for fun and and enjoyment, and those are like oftentimes the, the biggest growth moments. So um, that's 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 what I'll say. That that's one of the bigger mistakes that I've made many times. I'm trying to get better at. As, as the journey continues. Thank you for your honesty. Charles, yeah. uh, I want to give you the space. What do you want to leave the audience with today? Um, I just want to say thank you very much for listening. Um, I really appreciate your time, you know, your attention. I know that um, your time is limited. The day is only 24 hours in the day. And if you made it this far in the episode, then that means you've given us over an hour of your time, most likely. I want to say thank you. That really means a lot. And, um, you know, don't hesitate to reach out to me on, on Instagram or via email, charles at charlitoscocina.com. Um, and uh, I would love, love to keep our conversation going. And thank you to you, Hydra, for the opportunity to be on your podcast. As I said earlier, man, I really love what you're doing. Big fan of your show. And that's an honor and, a, and, and super humbling man, to be to be on this side of the of the mic. So thank you.